Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of Acts? And tonight we look at Acts <clears throat> chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we move into Acts chapter 7. I want to read from Acts 6, beginning with verse 9 through 15, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and then in chapter 7, beginning with verse 54 through 60, and then we'll pray. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians, and Alexandrians, and them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they suborned men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses who said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I will show thee. Turning to verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran unto him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when, the, when he had said this, he fell asleep. May we pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank Thee. For the passage of Scripture we've just read, we ask that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding, tune our hearts to what Thou art trying to say to us tonight. We pray that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to those who are lost and encouragement and blessing and joy to those who are saved. 
In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. An old doctor was preparing to retire for sleep. It was a dark, rainy night. There came a knock at his door. He went to the door about 11.30 at night, and there was a little frail girl standing at the door, and she said, Doctor, my mother is very, very sick. Would you please come and help her and take care of her? That great old doctor got his raincoat, got his doctor bag, and started out following the girl down the streets of that town. They went to the other side of the village. They came to a little old house. The girl quietly opened the door, and the doctor went in and stood by that mother. He saw how very sick she really was. He ministered to her, gave her the proper medicines, and then was about to leave, realizing that had he not come, she would have died that night. Just about to leave, he said to the woman, Madam, I want to commend you on a wonderful daughter you have. The lady looked up at him, and then he said, Your daughter came to me earlier and told me how very sick you were and how much you needed a doctor. And she guided me across this city to your house. And I want to commend you on having a dutiful and wonderful daughter. The lady looked into the eyes of that doctor and said, Why, doctor, that's strange. My daughter died two weeks ago. There are her clothes hanging on the chair. The doctor looked at the clothes, the very clothes that the girl had on who came to him and led him across the town. You say, how do you describe that? How do you explain that? I don't know how to explain it. This seems to be a documented story, but I would submit to you, the Bible tells us There are angels that minister to people's needs. And I do not purport tonight to tell you all about angels, but I want to say the Scripture has much to say concerning them. And in the Scripture we just read, apparently the people of that day believed in angels because when they looked upon Stephen's face, Stephen, who had given witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, and without the flinch of an eye had talked about Jesus and the faith that was in his heart, they looked on him, and the record says they saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Tonight I want us to think about the faith of Stephen, the boldness of Stephen, the testimony of Stephen, the martyrdom of Stephen, the coronation of Stephen, as we think about the face of an angel. And as we begin our study tonight, I want to present to you the ministry of angels. In the Old Testament, an angel rescued Hagar. An angel announced the birth of Isaac. An angel announced the destruction of Sodom. 
Angels destroyed Sodom and rescued Lot. Angels guarded Jacob. An angel commissioned Moses to redeem Israel. The law was given by angels. An angel rebuked the, Isra the Israelites for idolatry. An angel commissioned Gideon to deliver Israel. An angel rescued Elijah. Elisha was surrounded by invisible angels. Angels aided in the writing of Zechariah. And in the New Testament, an angel announced the coming birth of John. An angel announced the coming of Jesus. An angel appeared to Joseph concerning the birth of Jesus. An angel announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. Angels sang the first hallelujah chorus. An angel directed the flight into Egypt. An angel ministered to Jesus after the temptation. An angel came to Jesus in the agony of Gethsemane. An angel rolled away the stone at his tomb and announced the resurrection to the women and introduced the risen Savior to Mary Magdalene. An angel opened the prison doors for the apostles. An angel directed Philip to the Ethiopian officer. An angel released Peter from prison. An angel directed Cornelius to send for Peter. An angel stood by Paul during the storm on the ship that night. The scripture tells us that the word angel is used in a multi-purpose way in the Bible. The word angel sometimes refers to God. It is spoken of as of men. It is spoken of also as an order of created spiritual beings that surround the throne of God. That same term is used to describe created beings who have fallen from God and have become disobedient angels and are in Tartarus waiting for the judgment of that day. The chief attributes of angels, according to Psalm 103 and 2 Samuel 14, 20, are strength and wisdom. The expression angel of the Lord in the Old Testament usually implies the presence of deity in angelic form. In Genesis 16, Genesis 21, Genesis 22, Exodus chapter 3, Judges chapter 2, Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 13, and in Malachi 3.1, the angel of the Lord speaks of deity, the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. When the angel visited Abraham and told him that he was to have a son, the scripture makes it clear that this was an angel of the Lord and Abraham did obeisance to him and the angel accepted that obeisance. Thus, only deity can accept worship. And many Bible students believe that the angel of the Lord of the Old Testament was none other than the pre-incarnate visitation of the second person of the Trinity, Christ Jesus, the Son of God. The word angel also is used of men in Luke chapter 7, James chapter 2, and Revelation chapter 1. And in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, the Scripture says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. To the angel of the church at Pergamos, write. To the angel of the church at Sardis, write. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write these things. To the angel of the church at Laodicea, write these things. Thus, the angel of that church, the messenger of that church, a man, a human being, have you ever seen an angel? The word angel sometimes is used for the spirit of man. Angels sometimes are spirits. He maketh his angels spirits and his messengers 
a burning fire. But sometimes these are given power that they might become visible in the semblance of human form. There are many inferences and evidences in the Scripture of the Old Testament where angels become human beings or take on the form of a human being. The word for angels is always used in the masculine gender, though sex in the human sense is never ascribed to angels, for in heaven there, are, there is neither male nor female, there is not marriage nor giving in marriage, but the angels are described in the masculine gender. The angels are exceedingly numerous according to Psalm 68 and Matthew 26 and Hebrews chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 5. The power of angels is inconceivable according to 2 Kings 19. Their place is about the throne of God according to Revelation chapter 5. And their relationship to believers is that of ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation, which usually has to do with the physical safety and well-being of the children of God. The angels, the Bible tells us, observe us. Perhaps even now, according to the Word of God, there are angels who watch what goes on in our lives. Impossible? This is what the Word of God tells us. The Bible says that man is made a little lower than the angels. The Bible also tells us that the incarnate Christ for a little while took upon himself the form of a man and was made a little lower than the angels. Inconceivable. But he did this in order to be the captain of our salvation and to deliver men so that men who are made a little lower than the angels could occupy the throne of God which angels cannot occupy. There is singing up in heaven such as we have never heard where the angels sing the story of the Lamb upon his throne. But there's coming a day when the angels will need to fold their wings if indeed they have wings. For the redeemed of all ages will stand in the presence of the King and we will sing a new song, Thou art worthy to receive honor and riches and wisdom and power and glory, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The song the angels cannot sing, the song of redemption. If you're here tonight and you have been saved, the Bible tells us, that there is a song in your soul that the angels would like to sing, but they cannot because they've never experienced redemption. The angels are to accompany Christ at His glorious appearing, according to Matthew 25. The angels will prepare for the judgment of the individual Gentile nations at the end of the age, according to Matthew 25. Michael is designated as the archangel with a particular relationship to Israel and Gabriel is the only other angel mentioned by name and he is the one who has given specific purposes. It is this angel that appeared to Mary, to Joseph and perhaps was the leader of that angelic choir 
that said on the night the Lord was born, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now when they beheld Stephen, they beheld him as one whose face looked like the face of an angel. What did that look like? Stephen, in order for us to understand you, in order for us to understand what they meant when they said they looked upon you and your face was like an angel, we need to know something about your faith. And so first of all, we want to see the faith of Stephen that caused him to have the glow of an angel. If you want to know the faith of Stephen, the only place you can find it is in chapter 6. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not fitting, fitting that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. There are four characteristics told of Stephen's faith. Listen to what they are. Number one, a man of honest report. The world is still looking for a man who utterly is honest. A man who will not budge, a man who is not for sale, a man who cannot be purchased, a man who cannot be bought. We're living in an age when people are for sale. They will sell themselves to the highest bidder. Young people are, are particularly subject to this. The pleasure crowd comes along and says, come on to the dance. Come on to the bright lights. Come on to where the, where the action is and where all the gang is going. And so after the game, you go out to the dance. You go out to the sock hop. You go out to the revelry. You go out to the crowd. And you listen to the dirty jokes. And you listen to all of the revelry of the crowd because you're for sale. You have been purchased by pleasure. And the pleasure-mad throng will give you its tag for a little while and you'll enjoy their pleasures for a season but in doing so even though you're a child of god you're a christian you do away once and for all with that glow that could give you the glow of an angel face we need men today who will run for office who are not for sale some months ago, the whole Christian world thought, surely there must be one man, one man, who says, I'm a born-again believer. The whole world could follow him. All of America could get on the bandwagon, and all Christians could say, well, at last, we have a man that's come to the front who says, I'm a born-again believer, and he's not ashamed to admit it. And I want to tell you, I'm not dealing in politics tonight, but I think the pulpit is the place to denounce Playboy magazine. Men are for sale, anything to get elected. I can talk, you're a vulgar language? Why, sure, I want you to know I'm one of the Joes. I'm one of the good old boys. I'm one of the gang. And there are people, we ought not to condemn that man. We ought to pray for him. But I want to tell you, there are men in this room tonight who are just like that. When you're out with the gang, when you're out on your factory, when you're out in your job, when you're out in your school, and they all cuss, 
and they all swear, and they all tell their dirty jokes, what do you do? Well, I don't want to be too goody-goody. I want them to know that I'm human. And so you submit yourself to the price tag of the world. Stephen was not for sale. He was a man of honest report. He stood somewhere and he just stood there. Now, they didn't all like it, and they won't like you if you stand. If you stand solid for something, they'll not like you. But look, let's look at something else about his faith. Secondly, he was a man full of the Holy Spirit. He was a man who unashamedly acknowledged his need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we understand the scriptural teaching about the Holy Spirit, we have leaky vessels. When we first come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes into our heart, for we cannot call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, that precious paraclete, that paris, precious comforter wants to fill every phase of our life, fill us with himself. But then the slightest grievance, the slightest disobedience, the slightest saying of no to the Holy Spirit grieves that sensitive, precious one. And he can't have sway in our lives. He can't have access to all of us. Stephen was aware of this. And Stephen was the kind of man who was willing to go back to Christ and say, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. Whatever a man's full of controls him. If he's full of hate, hate will control him. If he's full of pride, pride will control him. If he's full of liquor, liquor will control him. If he's full of hate or prejudice or ill will or, uh, or lack of forgiveness, all of those things will control him. I think of Al Phaneth. Al Phaneth was a tremendous Christian. He's always, long as I've known, he's been a tremendous Christian. He married Sue West, one of the most precious girls that ever went through Western University, one of the sweetest girls that was ever part of our church fellowship. Some of you remember Sue West. Al was a football player at U of K. And when he graduated, he went into pro football. Outstanding athlete. He could have had the world at his feet. But in pro football, he had to play ball on Sunday. And it pricked his heart. It pricked his conscience. He did it for a while. One day Al called me from Montreal. And he said, I can't do it any longer. He said, I know you've been praying for me. I'd talked with Al about it. He said, I know you've been praying for me. He said, I'm giving up pro football because I can't play ball on the Lord's Day. He wasn't for sale. He went off the market. There's some in this room tonight who are for sale. And there are some in this room tonight who rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us with His precious power, we get filled up with all of the things of the world and all of the lust and all of the flesh. Sometimes we think of lust as only those sins of sex. But I want to tell you tonight, lust can be worldly acclaimed. Do you want to hear the world applaud you? A man can lust for approval so that everybody will speak well of him. He finds himself speaking out of one side of his mouth over here to this group and another side of his mouth to this group. But Stephen was not like that. He was a man 
filled with the Holy Spirit. A man who was possessed by Jesus. That's really what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not what you possess, but what possesses you. For you see, whatever possesses you controls you. If money holds you in its firm grip, and you have to have your money, 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 e pluribus unum, I gotta have money, gotta have my job. If that's what controls you, and you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit until you're willing to empty all of that out, pour it all out before God, ask His cleansing, forgiveness. But look at something else. This man was full of wisdom. Wisdom is the spiritual ability to use the facts and the knowledge we have. It's not so much how much knowledge you've got, but how much wisdom you have. What the world is waiting for tonight is to find somebody that is full of wisdom. The world has tried all the geniuses. We have more knowledge today than the world ever dreamed was possible. Knowledge doubles and quadruples over and over and over again. The knowledge explosion has not even reached its climax. It just keeps doubling. Every, it used to be every 20 years the books were out of date. The book you study this year will be out of date next year. The knowledge explosion. So knowledge is not the answer. Men need wisdom to know how to deal with the knowledge they have. But something else about this man, he was available to be appointed over the business of the Lord. He had time for God. He had time for God. How much time do you have for God? Susanna Wesley was the mother of 19 children. I suppose that there are people today who are living, who are Christians, who would look with smug, self-righteousness at Susanna and say, Susanna, didn't you know that it's not economical to have more than two children? And beside that, didn't you know that there's a population explosion? Didn't you know there's a lot of food, a lot of mouths to feed? And didn't you know that it's almost immoral to have more than three children? Didn't you know that? I want to hasten to say that I don't believe that. I'm the fifth child. But Susanna had 19 children. And every one of those children got one hour of Susanna's time every week alone. One hour. Every one of those children were taught the Word of God personally by that mother, Susanna. And busy, busy, busy Susanna took her children, her brood, 19 of them, to Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, and Wednesday night service. And when they had revivals, she took them to the revivals. You know what came out of that family? John Wesley, who saved England from the terrible bloodbath that was the French Revolution. 
Charles Wesley, who wrote more than a thousand gospel hymns, and we sang some of them today. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. She had time for God. How much time do you have for God? Stephen was a man who had time for God. Now that's something about his faith. And when they looked upon him, they looked upon a man whose face glowed as the face of, a, face of an angel. But I want us to see something else about this man. Look in chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to, to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they suburned men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him to, to, and caught him and brought him to the council. Why did they do that? Well, Stephen didn't believe in being a silent witness. That's the reason. Now, you know, we live in an age of, of silent witnesses. You know, uh, I, I just, I, I won't be, I don't want to be obnoxious to people. Well, after all, I can't push my religion on everybody else. Ever heard that? Listen, Western University students, those who are Christians, godly people, I don't believe we ought to purposely antagonize anybody. But I want to say this. Through the years, when our students have gone and knocked on those doors over at Western University at the dormitories, and they've knocked and they've knocked and they've knocked and they've knocked, students have been saved. God has moved in. God has called students to preach the gospel. And in the years when we got timid, we got backward, and somebody over at Western would say, well, those people over at Glendale, all they do is come and knock on your door and bother you and worry you. They're just like the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we got cowardly, and we shivered back in the shadows, and we said, oh, poor me. My feelings are hurt. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to push myself on anybody. You know what happened then? Nobody got saved much. Nobody came much. And, of course, nobody complained much. I think it was uh, Mordecai Ham who used to say, if nobody gets saved, nobody gets mad, we didn't have any meeting. If you can live your life and nobody gets mad at you because your faith is sticking out, then it could be something's wrong with you. Larry Embry spoke at our hobo convention Friday night. He told about how, before he was saved, a lady came by over and over and over and over, drove in his filling station. Many times just bought a dollar's worth of gas. She could have bought $10 worth, but she just bought a dollar's worth so she could come back the next day or so and talk to him again about Jesus. Give him a track. Tell him God loves him. And that got next to him. And after consistently that going on over a period of time, and one of the men of our church going to him and telling him how to be saved, Larry opened his heart to Jesus. That's the kind of man Stephen was. And when they looked upon Stephen, he had the face of an angel. What did that mean? Why, he was a messenger of God. He was one of God's messengers. 
The word angel, angel, in the original language means messenger of God. Sometimes that word is used for deity, the angel of the Lord of the Old Testament. Sometimes that word is used for a created being, an angel appeared. Sometimes, like Gabriel and Michael, sometimes that word is used for a human being to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right, to the angel of Ephesus, right, to the angel of Sardis, right. A human being? A human being? What kind of human being? A human being who is a messenger of God. A human being who is saturated with the oil of the Holy Spirit. A human being who has laid his life on the altar and says, Here am I, Lord. Look for a moment at his testimony. We have not time tonight to look thoroughly at it in chapter 7. But his testimony was really a message of Scripture. He gave one Scripture illustration after another Scripture illustration. And he went from Genesis to Malachi. He used the Old Testament. And he supported his message with the Word of God. And finally, when he came to the New Testament, and he talked about Jesus, and he said, You have crucified the Lord of glory. It was you. Your sins nailed him to the cross. You are guilty. They were pricked in their hearts. And then he talked about the resurrection of Christ from among the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection, they could not stand it any longer, and they raced on him. And they picked up great big stones and they were about to stone him to death. And the Bible says, look quickly at that faith. The Bible says he looked into heaven. And I think with a glow on his face, the face of an angel, he looked up. He said, I, I see Jesus. Here came the stones. But when Stephen sees him, he's standing up. The Lord stands in honor of that faithful witness, Stephen. When you get ready to go home, I mean to your home. I'm not talking about the little house or hut or pink palace you live in in this earth. I'm talking about home. And they all stand around you and they look on you. Will they see you as a face of an angel? Will they see that glow upon your face? I've known teenagers who died. I've known junior boys and girls who have died. I've known little primaries who have died. I've seen a few of them that I thought looked like angels. I've seen old people die. I've seen middle-aged people die. I've seen people in their 40s and 50s and 60s die. I've seen a few who looked like they had the glow of an angel, God's messenger. When you get ready to go and they look at you, whether it should be before the dawn tomorrow, or whether it should be 25 years from tonight, 
where the people see the glow of an angel on your face? What kind of a person are you? Do you have the faith that Stephen had? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for sin is death. You cannot cheat God. You cannot cheat God. Be sure your sin will find you out. Sins against the mind result in a dying of the ability to use that mind God gave you. That's one of the dangers of drugs. Sins against the emotional life result in mixed up emotions. This is one reason there are so many homosexuals in America. Sins against your moral nature, sins against the body, result in a dying of purity. And you can never be what God intended you to be. Somebody said the bird with a broken pinion never soared so high again. I've asked God to give me the bullheadedness the backbone, the courage, the fortitude, the guts, whatever it takes to say to young people until God shall take me. Young people, you've only got one life. Give it all the way to God. And I'm not prepared to compromise with the dancers. I'm not prepared to compromise with the sports enthusiasts or the athletics. And I'm not preaching against athletics. I'm simply saying, when God has his hand on your life, put him first. Nothing else deserves first place. And when you put Christ and something else up here together, Christ has to take second place. And you deprive yourself of being what God wants you to be. You'll never be all that God intended for you to be. Now I want to know, what are you going to do with your life? Will you yield all there is of you to all there is of Christ? Can you say to the Lord tonight, Lord, I realize the wages of sin. Those wages are so high that they may disqualify me for running the race acceptably. I may not be able to do what God wants me to do with my life because of some tiny little permissive sin that I've let get in my life and eat away. A man watched an American eagle and he soared way up and then in flight... He watched that eagle come down to earth with a thundering thud. He fell. The man went out and looked at that eagle, the proud symbol of America. And he saw that attached to that eagle was a little weasel that had attached itself to his body when he was on the tree. And when that bird went into the air, that weasel went with him and sucked his lifeblood. Just a little thing. Just a little thing. What little thing are you allowing to keep you 
from being all that God wants you to be. And they saw his face as the face of an angel. Would you like to look like that? Leonardo da Vinci painted the Lord's Supper. They tell us it took him years and years to paint that picture. And he looked and looked and looked and looked for models, people that he could paint. You know how artists do? You know how Brother Johnny does? He looks for people and he sketches people. That's the way Leonardo da Vinci did. And he found somebody that he could pose, that could pose to be Jesus. This, this young person had all the gold of life, all the zest and all the strength and all the power, those wonderful features. Leonardo da Vinci had him pose, and he painted all those beautiful features that you now see in that masterpiece. The years went by. He painted Matthew. He painted Bartholomew. He painted all of the other apostles. And after 30 years, he was looking for somebody that he could paint that would visualize Judas. Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus. He looked and he looked and he looked and he looked and he finally found the man. A man whose life was wasted. A man whose face was tortured with, with uh, deceit and the cares of the world. He asked that man if he would pose for the picture. He posed. He painted. When they finished, the artist said to the man, somehow you look strangely familiar. As I've painted you day by day by day, I've had the impression that I've seen you somewhere before. Where could I have met you before? The man with tears in his eyes said, 30 years ago, I posed as Jesus. And now you paint me as Judas. Young people, right now, you could have the face of an angel. I look on some faces tonight that look like angels to me. But if, as the years go by, and you yield yourself to sin, just this little sin, this little sin, this little thing, this little thing, it's not very significant, it's not very important, but you yield yourself to all of those things, you know, the care of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the wages of sin will disqualify you to have the face of an angel. Paul said just before he was taken to the Appian Way to die, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. And then he said, I have kept the faith. Can you say that? I see people here tonight that I could weep over. It's as if God had given me a vision of people standing before me, sitting before me tonight. People in their prime who could really be somebody's for God and God could greatly use you. 
but after a little while you're going to throw your life away and it will mean nothing and instead of you finishing the course you'll end up the end of your days with regret and bitterness and never do the work that God has given you to do I want to appeal to you tonight to say by the grace of God I want to have the kind of life so that when I get ready to go home people can look on me and they can say look he looks like he has the face of an angel may we pray every head bowed every eye closed Our Father, we thank Thee for everything that has been done here tonight, all this great singing, the Word of God. We pray now that the Holy Spirit will touch hearts and draw them to Christ. We pray that not one person here this evening will leave God out of his life, will leave this place and settle for less than his best given on the altar of service. Father, there's a mother or daddy here tonight who really needs to sell out to the Lord Jesus. Oh, I pray tonight that they'll come to you. There's a young person here tonight who needs to put his all on the altar and say, Lord, I won't withdraw. I won't draw back. I'm putting my all out for Christ. Help them to do it. Touch those who are lost in Jesus' name. Amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing God's invitation. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Now this is God's invitation. Please know that you are here by divine appointment. You may think that you came because somebody invited you. In reality, God invited you. You're here by divine appointment. And I want to ask you to deal seriously with the matter of your soul right now. Where will you spend eternity? If your life should be suddenly snuffed out before tomorrow morning, would you spend eternity in heaven or hell? Are you saved? Do you know Christ as your Savior? If you're not sure about this, would you get sure tonight? Would you come and say, by the best way I know how, I want to open my heart to Christ. I want Jesus in my life. I need him. I want Christ inside of me. Would you do that? If you're already a Christian, what does God want with your life? Are you willing to say, Lord, I want to take hands off my life. I want to give it to thee. Thy will, not mine, be done. Could you say that to Christ? While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the King, Christ Jesus? Will you come to him tonight?